재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 We're back. We are continuing our discussion on the legacy of former President Kim Young-sam who passed away uh, early Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to try to get more analysis on uh, some of his accomplishments and perhaps on some of the things that people felt were shortcomings. Uh, give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a Kakao Talk message. We will be joined on the line by professors who will give us an economic and uh, international relations, political perspectives uh, very shortly. Uh, we have here in the studio Hanguk University of Foreign Studies Law Professor Hwang Jong-uk. Uh, professor Hwang, uh, this was mentioned by uh, James Shaw uh, in the uh, first part, but the uh, idea of being a reformer, I suppose, uh, is in the forefront of a lot of people's minds, especially the younger, the, the earlier career of Kim Young-sam as a politician. But as a president, um, he mentioned the disbanding of Hanahe, as well as, uh, I guess, holding public officials to a certain extent, accountable in terms of their personal assets. Uh, would th- you would not generally give that positive marks? I mean, it was a good try. I mean, certainly if you say that the corruption in Korean politics has been entirely uprooted because of such efforts, I mean, you know, I think we can have a fairly reasonable debate about yeah. that. And you can even argue that, yeah, he tr- tried, but, you know, the efforts to circumvent such, such measures were largely successful. On the other hand, Hanoi, which was this sort of secret in-group within the military, disbanding that uh, group, I think, has was pretty significant in retrospect in the sense that I think we can now sort of say that with the institutional changes as well as societal changes that Korea has reached a point that, you know, we probably don't have to worry about a military coup anytime soon. I think, you know, the various changes which is represented by the disbanding of Hanawe kind of really, uh, you know, put an exclamation mark on there. We want to also get the, uh, I suppose, uh, economic assessment of President Kim Young-sam's legacy. And to help us with that, we have joining us from Catholic University of Korea economics professor Yang Jun-suk. Hello. Professor Young, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you for joining us on short notice like this. Uh, just first of all, uh, whenever there, you're seeing the media reports of his accomplishments, uh, whether it was disbanding of Hanahe or uh, uh, his role in the democracy movement, a lot of people also mention the introduction of the real name financial transaction system, uh, which was uh, during his tenure as president. Uh, how would you assess that and how important was that, you feel? Okay, I think that was very important as a measure of transparency. Uh, there were a lot of people afraid at the time that that may reduce financial transactions because, well, uh, there was a lot of feeling that this will uh, reveal uh, how much assets uh, individuals have, uh, which uh, may have been honest or may have been corrupt, but uh, the uh, given indication of act- how much actual wealth that this person has, and he may be taxed on it. So there was a lot of controversy at the beginning, but uh, after the uh, real name system took over, that problem was not as big as everybody feared, and it set up a uh, system so that you could have uh, relatively accurate taxes and you could keep uh, 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 records of various transactions. So it not only reduced corruption, but it increased transparency. It uh, improved Korea's tax base. And frankly, I think it set up a foundation for a more advanced type of international uh, financial transactions which does not mean that the task is complete yet, but Kim Young-sam took a major step on that. Mm. 
Professor Huang, would you say overall regulatory reform efforts, um, the changes in uh, how he how the financial sector operated, uh, the economy opening up? Um, do we attribute some of the credit to Kim Young Sam's um, tenure as president in terms of allowing Korea to really be, I suppose, one of the major global economic powers, including joining an organization like the OECD or the G20? Well, on the corruption side, I think real name financial transaction system should be understood as a you know overall system, to, yeah. overall initiative to improve you know the get rid of the corruption and increase transparency. And, and I think that's sort of you know undoubtedly one of the positive is uh, accomplishment under you know, President Kim Young Sam. On the other hand, joining OECD, I mean, you might sound like it, it was a good thing, but there's a you know strong school of the thought that all the deregulations that took place in the financial sector actually led directly to you know. The external uh, the imbalance that led to the, uh, the Asian financial crisis in the late 1997. So whether the deregulation for Korea at that time was a good move or not, I mean, in retrospect, there is a strong causal link between the crisis and the yeah. deregulation. So that is probably something that that should be debated a little more. Right. And Professor Yang, we'd love to get your thoughts on that because um, the, there seems to be a consensus that uh, there needs to be some blame a portion to uh, former President Kim Young-sam as far as the country uh, falling into and being a part of the 1997 Asian financial crisis, uh, the ensuing IMF bailout. Uh, do you think that uh, there was certainly a, a sense of the buck stops here with him, that he, sh he could have done something better to prevent that uh, really major economic catastrophe from occurring? Okay, well, uh, you mentioned two important things here. The buck stops here. So he was the president. This, uh, uh, this problem came at his uh, term. And there probably was a, some ways to at least mitigate some of the effect if he was superhuman. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, uh, he was the president and he has to take responsibility okay. for it. Having said that, uh, I'm not sure if all of the actions he took, uh, uh all of the, uh, uh, consequences it had was foreseeable. Uh, Kim Yong-sam took uh, those actions because they were popular at the time. Kim Yong-sam did not lead the charge for a lot of the deregulation. A lot of Koreans thought that the, the time had come for Korea to take stage in the, for, uh, in the international uh, markets, international financial markets. And it was a lot of Korean companies which were clamoring for deregulation because they wanted to get access to cheaper interest rates abroad. So in that sense, all, uh, most of the Korean establishment shares the responsibility. And I think it's uh, somewhat unfair to blame it all on just Kim Yong-sam administration. Uh, we see the same mistake actually, again, the overconfidence, the uh, overextendedness, the uh, building up the short-term debt too much in places like Greek, uh, mm -hmm. Greece or uh, U.S. subprime. So it's a common mistake to fall into, and just trying to blame it on one president, I think, is a bit unfair. Is it almost akin to, let's say, uh, fast-forwarding to 2008, and a lot of people, uh, I guess uh, a part of it uh, would be a, a blemish on the former U.S. President George W. Bush's legacy of uh, being the president in charge when that uh, Lehman Brothers collapsed and, and the uh, subprime a mortgage crisis really erupted. Is, is that a sort of a similar phenomenon there? It's a similar phenomenon. 
but the real problem is by uh, play, uh, placing blame on one particular president or one particular uh, president's uh, uh, administration, the policies that one particular president put out, it really uh, did not, does not deal with the long-term uh, policies which led up to that uh, the uh, financial crisis. The financial crisis in 98 and the global financial crisis in uh, 2008 were not built up in two or three years. This was a consequence of actions leading back 10, 20 years. Uh, and just blaming on one person, I think, okay. is a bit unfair. But having said that, he was the president. And there were some actions he took which worsened the crisis, some actions he could have taken which could have mitigated some of the crisis. So uh, that's a thing about being the president. You ultimately, you're the one who has to take the responsibility. Then that being said, overall, would you say as we, I mean, hindsight being 2020, uh, we are in the year 2015, we see the state of the modern South Korean economy right now, the stewardship, the former president, Kim Young-sam, as he uh, led the country as well as this economy, uh, would you say there are more pros than cons in assessing his legacy? Well, uh, I think uh, you really have to make a distinction. What I would blame uh, President Kim on, uh, I'm sorry to talk uh, about a uh, person who passed away. What I would blame him, though, is the after effects. I think he was very ineffectual after the crisis because mm -hmm. he was basically a lame duck president. Uh, but uh, overall, I think his economic achievement was pulled down a lot by the financial crisis, uh, but I think that was not entirely his fault. So uh, I'm not uh, I'm not very impressed with uh, President Kim Jong Sam's uh, economic policies, but on the other hand, I think he does get a lot of unfair blame. All right, fair enough. We shall leave it there, Professor Young. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate your insights as always. Thank you, Professor Young Jun Sup from Catholic University of Korea. Generally speaking, Professor Young, would you agree as far as the the assessment goes with the IMF and the crisis and whether he could have done better and his overall economic legacy? Yeah, I mean, on a micro level, you could think of you know, a few policies that he could have done here and there to alleviate the policy. But, I mean, if you remember in the 90s, sort of the uh, the spirit of the time was something called the Washington Consensus. That is, in the, in the field of finance, you go with the deregulation, and Korea was sort of going on with the consensus. If anything, I think it's the dealing with the IMF that probably Korea may, be, may been able to stand up a little more to the various conditionalities that IMF has imposed on Korea. In fact, about a few years later, IMF actually published its own sort of, you know, not official, but somewhat, you know, vaguely worded uh, uh, apology. Mea culpa saying, a, you know, a bit, right? Yeah. culpa that, yeah, the conditionalities we imposed in Asia were probably counterproductive. I mean, IMF doesn't actually come out and usually put, put out an explicit mea culpa, and in that light, maybe Korea could have probably a little more fight in negotiating the conditionalities with IMF and thus alleviating the pain that was imposed on Korean people. I mean, we have so many different topics that we can go over as far as um, a president's legacy is concerned, and, and certainly uh, we don't have time to get through everything, but we would like to now focus maybe on the political legacy because that is uh, certainly a very important aspect of uh, former President uh, Kim Jong-sam. Uh, he was not, I suppose... Uh, someone who would be considered pro-North Korean, uh, as has been, I suppose, uh, been uh, described to his successor. 
Kim Dae-jun, whether you want to use that in a pejorative or not, but uh, uh, he was not by any means a sunshine policy president. But in terms of North Korea, Professor Huang, uh, do you feel that, and, and this was a time when the founder of that country, Kim Il-sung, was still alive uh, uh, up until the, towards the end of his presidency. Do, do you think that, uh, and we talked about the 94 nuclear crisis, that um, there could have been a summit and that things may be different now if he did indeed meet with Kim Il-sung before he died? I mean, this is one of those great historical yeah. what-ifs within a really big variables, right? I mean, this happened right in the mid-1990s when North Korea was into the, you know, big famine and maybe Kim Il-sung would, could have, you know, taken a more drastic steps because he was, he knew that he was dying. At the same time, you hear about reports about, you know, power struggle between Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il at that time. Yeah. And you wonder, you know, how much of a sweeping, um, the changes that Kim Il-sung could have adopted given the murky nature of the power structure within North Korea. So, I mean, there are fascinating things to consider, but again, you know, with the Kim Il-sung's sudden death, it's one of those, you know, big what-ifs that we can wonder about in history that really never took place. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, a lot of people have been uh, talking about that. Uh, you can give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51. Uh, 0871 uh, texting us saying that uh, uh, YS had become a symbol with DJ as of course uh, those are the monikers we know in the press uh, YS being Young Sam uh, DJ being Kim Dae-jung uh, they were of course economic uh, political rivals uh, they were people that were sort of responsible as uh, Professor Huang said uh, for the regional divide that we see here but the, on the whole they were very important figures especially in this uh, post-democratic um, modern Korea political evolution uh, do you feel, Professor Huang, in terms of as we now focus on the political legacy of uh, President Kim, that we even have um, the floor leader of uh, Senri, uh, Won Yu Chao, saying that, look, I'm sort of the the direct line <laughs> descendant <laughs> of this, uh, this uh, great politician, Kim Young-sam. Uh, what does that exactly mean? I, I suppose, I mean, we in Korea, there is this things, right? The, the lines right. or the boats that you ride and all that. I, it is important to claim them, especially, I guess, timing-wise at a, at a moment like this, right? I mean, for me, in a simplified terms, I think such uh, such comments actually sort of represent the ugly side of the regional divide that exists in Korea. Basically, on the opposition side, everybody wants to claim to be you know, Kim Dae-jung's heir in the Honam area, and basically... Um, you know, Kim, Kim Musong is doing the same thing in the Pusam Gyeongnam area. You know, you, if you can claim your place as a rifle heir to Kim Yong-sam, you basically get, you know, the, with the attendant votes. And it, it, the fact that that kind of personality cult kind of drives is a, a big driving force still in Korean politics. I think it's uh, is is somewhat something of a sad reality. It is a sad reality, and again, we see the uh, ruling Henry Party right now, and it is sort of this. Uh, hybrid kind of evolutionary conservative party from remnants of the uh, militaristic regimes as well as the Gyeongsang based uh, democratic uh, advocates and, and this structure that we see with the NPAD, which of course is a very complicated issue as well and, and their ties with the Honam region. We have now the two heavyweights, uh, two of the three Kim's of that era, Kim Young-san, Kim Dae-jung, both former presidents, um, they have now passed. Uh, Kim Jong-pil never became president, but was prime minister on a couple of occasions. As we said, was a kingmaker, was just basically the political king of the uh, Chungcheong region, a major figure uh, in and of itself. 
now that we see this passing and and this despite of what these current politicians want to do to claim the legacies, can we now get the ball rolling and 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 move away from? The regional divide, because there have been attempts made before, whether it's the uh, former President Noh Myung's uh, Uri Party or what uh, An Chul Su was trying to do and trying to appeal to uh, Honam voters, uh, is it not as easy as we think it is? Yeah, I think basically that's the answer in the sense that I think it is a, you know the, the three Kim period has lasted for decades, right? And the tie, the human ties, as well as political mechanisms and you know various power dynamics that have developed have become so entrenched. And you know, I think you know the feelings and the people's memories kind of persist for many many years. That at least you know for ne- next. Couple of election cycles, I, I don't see how this regional divide will actually break down once, you know, people's identity politics kind of change with people, you know, just kind of getting older and dying off and generation changes. Maybe they will change, but for the foreseeable future, with people with that vested uh, political mechanism as well as emotional animus. I think the divide will continue for the yeah. foreseeable future. It's such a tough nut to crack. I mean, part of the reason for uh, the former president Noh Myung's ascendance to political prominence was the fact that he constantly kept running in these unwinnable elections as a, a liberal party candidate, despite that entrenched regionalism. And uh, a lot of people forget that he was actually a follower of Kim Young Sam, but hugely disappointed in that major decision to join forces with the uh, the former uh, military regime remnants. Yep. And, and, of course, that is what we see today in the nation's politics. Then there is going to be that question that always remains here. And we know that uh, if you want to talk about the New Korea Party or the uh, Grand National Party and the Senuri Party and his role as a leader of that party, a leader of that region, and ultimately the leader of the country, what do you believe his political legacy will be? Well... <laughs> Um, I guess this is something of a political Rorschach tax test in yeah, the sense that, you know, for some people, you know, he represents the, the, the true transition from military dictatorship to the, the, the democracy and somebody who, uh, for, 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 in the conservative circles, you might even see claims that he actually kept Kim Dae-jung at bay for a few more years. Other people might actually say he was a, you know, a traitor in the democracy in a sense. I mean, you know, a lot of hi- hypothetical counterfactual that people bring up is that had he and Kim Dae-jung actually came together in 1987 and flipped a coin, let you know, basically, let's form us, uh, let, let's not divide up. Let's flip a coin. Who's going to be the president first? And let's just, you know, you know, take turns in get, becoming a president. They would have actually become president, you know, each of them five years before they would have them. If you know, Kim Young Sun won the coin toss, or you know, vice versa, right. or whatever. So you know, this transition would have taken place five years before Kim Young Sun was actually forced to, you know, merge with the the, the remnants of the the the, 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 the ruling military, the dictatorship-related party. So in in that sense, I think you know so some people could you know reasonably label him as something of a traitor too. And that is really why it is so difficult to, and what we attempted to do here, but probably uh, would never be complete, is you can't assess a legacy just two days after the passing of an individual. I mean, these are there are historians who who study these things for decades, and you never really fully solidify that legacy until maybe. 
uh, 20, 30, a generation from now, and that's probably the case with, with YS and how people will remember him, right? Yeah, and if I predict even 20, 30, even a century afterwards, given all the positives and negatives that came out of his you know, political career as well as his presidency, I don't think there will be a you know, one-word, one-sentence summary of his, uh, his life. Yeah. Um, the state of mourning is still in effect. Uh, a funeral, a state funeral, uh, will be set for Thursday. You can be sure we will be discussing uh, more about uh, the passing of former President Kim Young-sam in the days to come. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Professor Huang, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, a great discussion. Always appreciate your insights. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much.